those rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi, and today we have an amazing friend, very good friend of the show, Nicole, on the show. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. At first, I was like, how do I introduce you? Because um, it's <laughs> formerly, formerly Vegan Warrior Princess Attack, formerly Bitchy Shit Show, and now Pink Spot. So I just said, fantastic yeah. friend of the show. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you want to, I guess, start off by um, shouting out um, your new work and where people can find you and what your new project's all about? Yes, I would love to. So uh, yeah, I'm starting a new podcast called Pink Spots, and pink is spelt with a Y, so it's P-Y-N-K, um, to make it more queer, but also because the domain name was available, so that's how we <laughs> content creators do. Um, yeah, and this new project I'm very excited about, so it's going to be a solo project. Um, some of you may know me from Bitchy Shit Show or Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack, where I was partnered with Callie, um, but now I'm going to be moving on to this new project, and what I tried to do with this, um, you know, it was kind of an opportunity to reset and really analyze what do I love doing the absolute most, and while I do really enjoy things like political commentary, which we're going to get into today, my absolute favorite thing to do is have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that are really raw and vulnerable about topics that are, you know, either controversial or really personal. Um, so that's what the platform is going to be geared around. And it's also a way to try to consciously combat the uh, kind of patriarchal debate me bro culture that pervades on the left so it's going to be a space, a queer space to embrace things that are queer, that are femme, that are um, just leftist in general, but from really a more emotional, personal perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah. So I'm going to have these uh, collaborations with people. And then I'm also going to do an advice column because that's my other favorite thing in the world to do is answer questions. And I think between the two, you know, it's going to cover a lot of really amazing ground um but in this way that is trying to build community rather than mm -hmm. win arguments mm -hmm. oh I love that so much I honestly can't even tell you and I feel well, like you were a big inspiration oh. for that <laughs> all of the conversations we've had lately yeah um, oh, well, yeah, really come to so that conclusion. yeah I'm just I'm so thrilled that this kind of content will be out there I mean you know I I do get a lot out of the con I mean I make content that's like mostly academic uh, and more dry and kind of to the point. Um, but I feel like I, I went in that direction, partly because I do want to educate and, you know, I do feel compelled to make that kind of content. Um, but also, I feel like I was kind of steered in that direction. Because when I first started, and I was being a bit more myself, and I'd be a bit more like loose and free and I guess more emotional. Um, I just got a lot of criticism from mostly men um, who were just hmm, kind of like policing the way that I was talking, policing. Um, yeah, just just a whole lot of um, crap. Um, and I just kind of I felt like if I just focus on the facts and you know getting getting everything right and making something super academic and leaving people no room to argue. Um, 
then I wouldn't get so much of that. And I, I don't anymore, <laughs> which is good. Um, but I always kind of yearn for that more. Yeah, I guess that vulnerable kind of open, squishy, um, yummy kind of content, because that's the stuff that I relate to, you know, like, that's what I want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's really, really great. And I think it can reach a lot of people. So I'm really excited for your new project. Um, Thank you. For any, I mean, people, I guess, already should know you because we already did a collab when you were still mm-hmm. working with Bitchy Shit Show um, on COVID-19 and seizing the means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that was all great. Um, I'm pretty sure that most people who listen to this podcast also know who you are. So Anyway, if you don't. I assume so, yeah. but just in case you don't. <laughs> yeah, just in case. Um, go check that um, out. Yeah, and you can find me everywhere just by, uh, you know, typing in Pink Spots. So Instagram, Twitter, it's Pink Spots, all one word, um, on YouTube under Pink Spots. And if you were previously subscribed to anything Bitchy Shit Show, I've uh, switched the accounts over, so you shouldn't have to do anything new And hopefully you've been seeing my updates because I'm launching uh, my first episode November 15th. And um, I would particularly still love to get more subscribers on my YouTube channel. I'm still trying to hit a thousand. Yes. Um, So yeah, that's everywhere you can find me. Yeah, we'll put those all in the show notes. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely um, check those out. And please subscribe to get Nicole past 1000. Um, because if you're not a content creator, you have to get past 1000 to get a whole other range of options to do things like on live streams and things like that. So please help. (laughs) Okay, great. So just before we dive in uh, to our main topic, uh, which is a whole doozy, uh, it's going to be election stuff, it's going to be neoliberalism and fascism and and all of that good stuff. Um, But I just want to plug the Patreon quickly before we jump in. Um, so this is a donor funded show. We were, we rely on the generous donations of all you wonderful people. And we have added a number of pretty cool perks. Um, so for just $2 a month, you get access to the total liberation discord server, which Nicole is also a part of. Um, and I co-run the space with Catherine and mad blender, um, Leslie and um, basically it's, you know, an, an anti-capitalist and total liberation kind of a community. And we host bi-monthly political chats on there. Um, we've just done a few so far and they've been really, really great. And we want to kind of invite more people into those conversations. So definitely head on over um, if you are interested. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, stickers and pins designed by the wonderful Menica Repka of Niche Design Co. And soon we will have merch. It's just taking a while to set up, but we will have merch. I'm hoping we can get it in time for kind of like the Christmas season, but we'll see about that. Um, but anyway, so you can become a monthly patron or so give us a one-time donation uh, via PayPal or just share our episodes and give us ratings and review on iTunes because I love reading those as well. So thank you for everyone who's left them recently. All right, Nicole, let us talk election crap (laughs) oh my god doing research for this i was like okay you have to not make it a three-hour episode yes (laughs) there's so much to say i know 
Um, it's Ugh, so frustrating. And yet it all can be summed up by a heavy sigh at the same time. A deep, heavy sigh. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's so frustrating to even sometimes like have to even engage with this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the U.S. elections, more than any other election around the world, um, I don't know how it is in other places around the world, but our news is completely dominated by American news and American media. So... I mean, I mean, people in Canada know more about American politics than they do local politics or provincial politics or state politics here. And that's just a fact across the board. Um, and so because it's such a long drawn out process, it's like there's just years where there's just nothing but the U.S. election. So you almost you're forced to engage with it, um, even if your politics are, you know, outside of electoralism or whatever. Right. Um, so I guess uh, just to start, you know, as someone living in America, what was your what was your reaction to <laughs> Biden winning this election? Um, you know, I just think like existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just it was just really difficult because obviously I didn't want Trump to win. Mm-hmm. But I also think Biden is incredibly dangerous. So it was just really hard to know how to feel. Um, and I, you know, I was dealing with a bunch of other stuff at the time and I had kind of gotten off social media and gotten away from news and I did a mail-in ballot and, um, I just, even filling it out, it just, the whole thing seems so remote and surreal to me that it was just very strange to hear it all come in. I think like a lot of us have probably globally, Um, But I think a lot of us in the U.S. have just gotten really exhausted by this whole process because the whole I mean, the 2016 election was exhausting. The entire Trump presidency has been exhausting. And this election cycle has been just unbelievably, you know, just such a drudge. And um, on top of that, we've obviously had 2020 (laughs) at the same time dealing with COVID and everything else. Yeah. So I think it just... I know for me, I just felt kind of dead inside and I was like, good, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm just very concerned. And I know this was one of the reasons I was very excited to talk to you because you also voice concerns about seeing a lot of people, libs, you expect it, but even people on the left who are now starting to kind of like sugarcoat Biden's record or, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, give him more credit than he's due for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think we can celebrate Trump not winning without celebrate celebrating Biden's presidency. So Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. That that was my I had a series of tweets where I said just that because, um, you know, I was critical, I guess, of Biden, basically, as soon as we heard the news, right? Um, Because I don't know. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has been watching this for so long and American politics really, really um, impact everything else in the world, they impact Canadian politics, they impact obviously all of the, um, you know, global nations in the global South that are um, terrorized by the United States. Um, So yeah, I, somebody posted about this and I thought it summed it up well. It's just like this strange hollow feeling because you're seeing everybody um who just appear to be like euphoric um and you just can't really match that level of excitement and you're just thinking like is something what like am I missing I don't know right like (laughs) (laughs) no that's how I felt I um you know on Saturday when they kind of 
officially announced. It's weird, too, because it's like Biden's won, but he hasn't actually truly officially mm-hmm. won, which we'll also talk about today. Mm-hmm. But anyway, on Saturday, they announced that he basically has won, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there are all these cars honking outside my apartment and I could hear people kind of cheering and I hadn't checked the news that day and I was like oh is there a protest like what's going on yeah (laughs) maybe I'll go get out in the streets with people yeah and then um I got a message from a friend and then I realized I'm like oh these are people celebrating Biden winning Mm -hmm. and I just was like this is so weird and I felt exactly how you said I just can't get to that level yeah even even celebrating trumping out it's obviously a very good thing, but I can't just knowing what what is replacing him. I just can't get there. Yeah, for me, I don't know. It's like I don't I don't have like a good metaphor or something, but it's like you know when like a mosquito is like biting you and you're just really frustrated, <laughs> and then you like hit it and then it falls off, and you're just like ah, oh. like it's just the sigh of like great, it's <laughs> off, but it's not just like yay, it's not like partying, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> it is that's a pretty good analogy because um i feel like biden is like the bug bite that you have to deal with afterwards exactly, yeah and you're like well all right this is better like, well, but i'm not gonna yeah. like, jubilantly whatever <laughs> anyway yeah and i don't want to you know i don't know like i saw adrian marie brown post about this and mm. i don't want to take away from people who are really excited and who are celebrating and i i do agree that yeah like we as a movement, we do need to know how to celebrate our wins. I guess it's just really hard for me to see this as a definitive win. Yeah. Um, I just see it more as like, I don't know, maybe like a stopgap um, just while we continue the fight. And so it's like, okay, fine. Like I could take a breath, um, but then just get right back to it basically. So yeah, I mean, again, celebrate Trump leaving. That's fantastic. Um, I was concerned seeing yeah, self-proclaimed leftists um, mm-hmm. complimenting Biden in really, really weird ways um, and just saying things like, oh, you know, whatever, maybe he's believed in all these really bad policies, but I think he's a really good person. I think he cares about people. Um, I had posted something about – because Kamal – or is it Kamala? Uh, Kamala Harris um, – posted like you know we did it joe like that that (laughs) video we did it joe Joe. um and i quote tweeted that and i was like remember when kamala like ripped joe apart on stage for working with segregation right um and i wasn't saying that to be like oh you can never criticize somebody and then work with them later i just meant like i don't know there's all this like jubilant celebration and i just felt like people were like people who before the election had said, you know, I'm not voting for Joe Biden, I'm voting against Trump seemed to be just like really pumping up Joe Biden. And I was just like, hey, Mm. remember how he hasn't taken accountability for any of this? And his (laughs) record was just so terrible. Um, But then people came back and were like, well, I think it actually speaks really highly of his character that he would pick Kamala, um, you know, after she had, yeah, 
And I was like, speaks highly to his character. Why, why are we doing this? Like, why do, why do we need to do that? You know, like I get like celebrate Trump leaving fine, but I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the sexual assault allegations from nine women and, you know, the crime bill and, you know, X, Y, Z, like his entire thing will fundamentally change and his cabinet picks that already include Republicans and on and on and on supporting the Iraq war. Like this man has untold blood on his hands and Mm. for some reason we feel like we have to say like well this speaks highly of his character he didn't pick kamala harris his strategist picked kamala and it was a really cynical strategy because they wanted a woman but it couldn't be someone who was too progressive because that goes against their their economic ethos but it also goes against their strategy of retracting moderate republicans so like why do we need to compliment why do we need to compliment these like white men who have too much power in the first place Yeah, she was basically his only option because they also, you know, pin themselves into a a corner by saying they were going to have a woman of color VP. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, who else are you going to pick? Because, again, exactly. She's the only one that is okay with the donors. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because they had Stacey Abrams, but that was like two left. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Stacey Abrams getting... (laughs) slap down publicly on television how humiliating Mm -hmm. but yeah no and she you know she's even a more cynical pick not just because of the cosmetic diversity of it all but also because she's like the top cop during a time when defund the police has actually taken off as a movement Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just you know i think with the democrats the biggest problem and you know there's a lot of biggest problems so (laughs) green assault but the thing with them that i think burns my biscuits the most i'll say it that way is that they really they're those type of people kind of collectively in a party that talk down to you Mm -hmm. but think that they're smarter than you and you don't know that they're talking down to you but they're being super obvious about it like that's just (laughs) always how candidates from this party for you know the presidential race always strike me and Biden, my, I don't know, Biden and Clinton are tied to me as equally condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it is. Like, they're like, look, we gave you a black woman. What more do you want? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you gave us a top cop yeah. while we're out here in the fucking streets telling you we <laughs> defund police. Yeah. You know, it's just everything from them is always like that. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, we gave you this superficial cosmetic, you know, gesture, like, what do you want from us? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we see what you're doing. Yeah. And um, I know we wanted to get into this today, but I think that lends itself nicely to the fact that there were so, so much opportunity this time around to capture a lot of Republicans a lot of non-voters, a lot of independents by offering some of these progressive policies and they just didn't do it because, again, they're so condescending. They would rather have Trump win than to give the working class any kind of concessions whatsoever. Absolutely. Or to give, you know, the BIPOC population any kind of like meaningful concessions and systemic changes whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But they think we don't see it Mm -hmm. because like, Kamala Harris is the VP and it's like no we we see it we know what you're doing yeah and I think that's why you know I would never defend a Trump voter so don't take it that way but I do think that that's why like Trump's votes went up yeah across almost every demographic 
is because like the people that the Dems think that they're fooling, they're Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. And they see it and they're going to, you know, whatever the reasons for voting for Trump, that's a big piece of it is Mm -hmm. like, I see that not only are you not meeting my material conditions and listening to me and taking me seriously, but you're, you're condescending to me. Mm -hmm. Like you don't even, you don't think that anything I'm going through is valid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important point. I was going to bring this up later, but yeah, like, you know, it's really wild that he went up in votes with every demographic other than white men. Um, (laughs) But on media reads, they were talking about, you know, um, how he went up, I think, three points with um, Latinx men and women. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes in counties where, you know, they're right near the border, um, median income is like 7,000 per year, right? So it's really, really economically marginalized people who have also been, you know, under attack, um, you know, by the Trump administration. um, And they voted for Trump. And a big reason for that is that a lot of people cited like the economy as their number one priority. And unfortunately, yeah, we're living in this pandemic. Um, Trump is saying we're going to reopen the economy, which is absolute, you know, horseshit like it's it's just capitalist (laughs) eugenics basically yeah um but if you're a poor person struggling and one party is saying well we're going to open up the economy so that you can get back to work and the other party is saying we're going to continue the lockdown but not give you fucking anything not give you any money not give you rent that's it (laughs) you know like not give you (laughs) like uh whatever debt relief um rent freezes we're going to give you nothing then yeah and they didn't even try to campaign because they just thought like, oh, like the Latinx vote is in the bag. The black vote is in the bag. Mm-hmm, they just mm-hmm. offered fucking nothing to nobody. You know, like it's just, yeah, it's outrageous. And to give, you know, credit where credit's due, because it's an important distinction, like BIPOC voters are like Biden has them to credit for yes, his win. Yeah. So it's not to say, because I know, you know, some corners of the internet are trying to blame these voters for it not being more of a landslide. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You know, white voters are still pretty central to Trump having as much as many votes as he did. Mm -hmm. But it just shows that. Yeah, exactly. That it's very transparent. That the Democrats didn't put in the work Mm -hmm. and don't have any intention of giving us anything that might even slightly represent, you know, a progressive uh, change Mm -hmm. or forward movement because they have no intention. I think if you look at um, Biden's cabinet picks as they stand right now, the potentials, I mean, it's, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. It's, you know, and I said that I recently went on a progressive podcast, Australia um, to talk about the election as well. And I said this on there, but I had read an article where they were talking about the cabinet and were saying, you know, it's not even just looking at what are the next four to eight years going to be. That's bad enough. Mm-hmm. But it's also looking at this is when th- these are positions that make long term politicians. Right. Mm-hmm. These are positions that set you up to be a player in um, DC for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So the Democratic Party is very clearly communicating to us with these cabinet picks what the future of the Democratic Party is going to be. Mm-hmm. These are the future leaders of the party, right? Mm-hmm. 
And it's, it's horrific. I mean, we have people, um, you know, from financial institutions, these are the people who ran us into the ground in 2008. Mm -hmm. We have so many Obama cabinet members of people like, um, the head of, uh, national security who, um, or the security advisor who got us into all of those lovely wars that Obama got us into. I mean, these are people who are imperialist, mm-hmm. capitalist to their bones. Mm-hmm. So there's no relief coming. Yeah. And like, and they're not going to give anything to like Liz or no. Bernie. It's so funny. Oh, no. They've actually, I've heard they're trying to put a rule in place that will prevent them from giving positions to any progressive person, but they're trying to make it look like they're like, oh, well, that's just the rule. We just can't do it. Yeah. And it's like, but it's the rule that you just made up. It's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, they're actually making like because um, they heard it was something about they were going to make an official rule that no senator could be appointed mm. so that Warren and Bernie would not be able to be put in. Well, um, and then, you know, you have Biden on record saying that he's going to have to pick a cabinet that Mitch McConnell can live with. So now they have Republicans in there as well. Yeah. And they're literally, you know, shaping this to be, I mean, Biden and McConnell are friends. Mm -hmm. They're legitimately friends. Yeah. And Mitch McConnell is like the second most powerful person in this country. And he's a monster. Yeah. So this is what we're looking at is like more economic hardship, you know, a further acceleration of the the wealth gap, mm-hmm. um, a further acceleration of corporations just having got godlike powers at this point in our government, in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Imperialist bloodlust all over the place. And, you know, just again, the Democratic Party being pushed further and further right mm-hmm. while we're being told it's left. Yeah. You know, just the the continued gaslighting of our country over what this party even represents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really scares me the whole like framing of this whole campaign around, you know, restoring dignity and honor and, you know, Mm. normalcy and whatever to the country. With Biden? Yeah. But but like, I think that like it's going to work. And this is why I'm, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, really um, it worries me to see leftists. giving compliments to Biden as a person, as if he's like out here doing this because he really cares about, you know, helping the people or whatever. Biden has been very open about, you know, also not supporting Antifa, you know? Um, So I'm like, when Biden comes out and like, you know, sends in the National Guard to put down Antifa, to put down BLM or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's going to be... Just like Obama did too. Yeah, but it's going to be under this framework of like, oh, we're doing this because, you know, we're restoring order and we're we're restoring the dignity of our country. Um, And then suddenly leftists, like before, I feel like um, even though there was some really ridiculous debate around like, oh, should people be looting or not looting or whatever? The fact that it was Trump at the helm and that he was taking these, you know, really um, aggressive militarized uh, approaches to putting people down. I think even liberals who might think, you know, oh, I don't know, I'm not that into the looting or the property destruction or whatever, um, however ridiculous that is, at least they were more sympathetic simply because Trump was in office and everything that Trump does is bad. And and mm-hmm. everything that's happening under, under Trump is Trump's fault. Um, and now it's going to be, okay, well, well, we've restored honor. We've restored dignity. So everything that's happening is the fault of these radical 
leftists and you know like we what what can we do just let them yep. loot just let them mm-hmm. whatever you know it's gonna be <sighs> i worry that it's gonna be a lot more difficult to like push liberals and conservatives because they're both gonna be against um the far left yeah and that's the thing is that trump to me is in some ways less dangerous because he has proven himself fairly ineffective in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. Even this coup that he's trying to pull off, which, you know, I'll get into a bit later, he's not really doing a very good job. And even if he manages to pull it off, he's not going to have the support of the country, which is usually pretty important, um, you know, if you're trying to undemocratically take over Mm -hmm. or retain the presidency. He wouldn't even have the support of Ben Shapiro. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) What a loss. Um, But, you know, I also don't know if people give him enough. He is very savvy in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And the, the real fear that I have is that he has set up a lot of stuff that the Democrats can come in and exploit very easily mm-hmm. to exactly like you said, look like the good guys, look like they're getting us back to something, um, you know, normal and respectful and whatever, but are actually benefiting from the propaganda that he spread during his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't know if a lot of people are going to see that. This mm-hmm. uh, whole Antifa anarchist thing where he's trying to actually get that classified as a terrorist group is is a big one Mm -hmm. because you do have a lot of libs who are like oh yeah those people scare me too Mm -hmm. and they they also don't know who they're even talking about Mm -hmm. right yeah because it's not like you're just walking around like being an antifa like member Mm -hmm. um but you know now yeah it's gotten to the point where like anyone in a black hoodie is a suspect person and you have a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who will be like, yeah, lock that person up Mm -hmm. or yes, that person scares me and they're challenging my way of life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've always said that my biggest fear with Biden, um, is what he and Harris will do to make protesting more difficult illegal, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. because I feel like they'll get away with it mm-hmm. where Trump didn't. Yes. Um, I'm obviously afraid of a lot of things with the Biden presidency, but that's one of the things that I know from experience that people do not pay attention to because mm-hmm. Obama was just, I would say, probably just as violent towards people as Trump was, mm-hmm. but because he went about it in a different way, we didn't really have those conversations back then the way that we have yeah. now. Even if you think about like Standing Rock, which was under mm-hmm. Obama and Biden, for some reason, nobody blamed Obama and Biden for nope. that at all. Nobody even put that on them. Like They never had to answer for it. Never. Or same with Flint and all those other, you know what I mean? It's just like, when Obama was the president, it was just like, oh, well, it's not his fault. Like, I'm sure he wants to do something about it, but he's just surrounded by people who won't let him do it. Right. But then mm-hmm. with Trump as the president, it's always like, no, this is him. This is his administration. This is all him, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I worry that people will, again, if it's Biden, will be like, oh, well, they, they, they mean well, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love the constant reading of good intentions into bad people. Yeah. It's like, 
Yeah. It's kind of, it's like two sides of the same coin. I was thinking about this with uh, cancel culture as well, is that, uh, so like on both sides, like people expend so much energy reading intention into other people, mm-hmm. either to, you know, like glorify them or to like cancel them. Mm-hmm. And I just wish we could stop doing that yeah. because like, think about how much online discourse is wasted like how much energy is wasted around that constantly Mm -hmm. like why do we need to do that with biden why can't we just look at his track record and then look at like Mm -hmm. be like okay i'm gonna watch what you're doing right i'm gonna pay attention yeah but no people already need to think it's like the daddy syndrome right Mm -hmm. like we need everyone's exhausted Mm -hmm. and they just want to like feel safe and feel like daddy's taking care of them so now (laughs) Now we need to make, you know, good old Uncle Joe into this like Uncle benevolent Joe. daddy figure. Uh. And it's like he's not he's not he's not even fucking like he he's so bumbling. He's yeah. not comforting. He's he's like blatantly condescending. Yeah. He's just he's not going to heal the country. <laughs> and remember like I haven't seen any of these kind of photos pop up, but remember like in the primaries, it was just like my feed was just flooded with like Uncle Joe, like <laughs> sniffing women's hair or like <laughs> like just like touching children really inappropriately. And I guess like people held back on sharing those when it got closer to the election because mm-hmm. they were like, all right, well, we want Biden to win and not Trump. But I, was, I just like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just, like, that's so our funny. president. Yeah. <laughs> embarrassing (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, anyway I mean yeah I and and I and I'm I am glad I do think that um you know we're in a a better spot now kind of like rhetorically I do think that mm -hmm. the QAnon people the Proud Boys um that they've largely been all talk you know like with Trump well like right now they've been kind of quiet right we're not seeing a bunch of armed white militias like storming things um and i mean i guess wait and see but um you know i so i think that it is really really great to you know just like symbolically and rhetorically to have him out i think that's that's progress um so yeah it's not like i'm not glad and i am glad um but yeah i just um I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, caution to exercise, I guess. Um, yeah. And I mean, it is like he, you know, the good things that he announced. So, you know, he announced he's going to cancel $50,000 worth of student debt um, in January. We'll see if that happens. But that's fantastic if that does happen. Um, I mean, of course, if we're continuing to have education be private and for profit and American education is so expensive. Um, like, yeah. I, I don't know how like people pay for education there. It's so much more expensive than in Canada and Canada's already pretty expensive. So, um, you know, if, if that's still the case, then people are just going to keep racking up more debt. So I guess you can just periodically relieve the debt. I just don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Silly. <laughs> um, uh, and I was trying to, I actually tried to look that up and I was finding like different, like he's announced different plans and they keep getting cut down and yeah. a lot of people are saying that it there that'll never get past um i think the senate mm. um so yeah it's kind of like 
if it even happens, yeah. we'll see. Because I saw one that it was like 10,000 only, and it was basically only if you were impacted by COVID or unemployed. Like, you had to meet all these restrictions. Mm. Um, so it's like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But, and, it, and I don't want to undercut that, because if that did actually go through, mm-hmm. I mean, that is going to improve people's material conditions. Sure. And it will disproportionately, um, in a good way, impact, you know, black black people, mm-hmm. people of color, um, who tend to carry more student debt. Mm-hmm. But it's I, that is a huge concern of mine, is that Biden will be able to make a few kind of like conciliatory gestures. Yeah. And then people are going to be like, he's the next FDR. He's the most progressive yeah. president we've ever had. <laughs> and um, it's like, no, honey, mm-hmm. it's still really bad. Like, there's yeah. still a lot here that's not yeah. happening. And yeah, he'll be off bombing countries and mm-hmm. getting systemic racism even more yeah. you know, institutionalized and mm-hmm. people just won't pay attention. Yeah. See, I think that, yeah, that's, that's the issue, right? So if you're going to relieve student debt, that's fantastic. But then if you're going to means test it and put all these different restrictions mm-hmm. onto it, then people need to be in the streets fighting that. Like we need to demand more. We need to demand free education. Um, but right. I, I worry that if we have someone in there who's like, oh, well, here's this, people are going to be like, okay. And then they, they won't be in the street. <laughs> They won't right. be in the street, even though it's like, no, this is our time. The whole point of strategically electing Biden was that we thought that we could push him more than Trump. So this is the time to get in the street. Even if he's giving you concessions, this is the time, you know? Um, but I just don't know if people will have that energy. Um, and then the other good thing I saw uh, was that he said he was going to increase the cap for uh, refugees from like, 15,000 to 125,000 or something and to keep increasing thereafter. So that's fantastic. That's um, great. But again, we need to be out in the streets like demanding the end to imperialism and demanding, you know, that the U.S. stops creating all these ref- refugees, you know, in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. That's a worry. And I, I just hope that we can like rally the quote unquote rally the comrades I was gonna say rally the troops but rally the comrades um despite these kind of like you know nice gestures there was also like oh he adopted this rescue dog um girl I can't when I saw that I like almost threw my phone across the room yeah except I'm poor and I can't afford a new one so I didn't yeah but I was like, get the fuck out of here with this. I know. Yeah, I was like, whatever the dog's name is, is going to be the first rescue dog to ever be, like, first dog in the White House or whatever they call it. I know. I was like, I cannot. I know. I cannot. It, it gives me the feeling, like, when I see police dogs and people are like, well, it's not the dog's yes. fault. And I'm like, I know, but, like, get them out of there. Like, like, oh, it makes me so upset. Um, and then, yeah, people are just like, well, it's not the dog's fault. I'm like, the dog's super cute, but, like, do not bring this adopted dog in here and try to make it be like, oh, look. Well, and did you notice that it is a German Shepherd? Yes. Yeah. Which is, like, historically a police dog and also a nazi dog yeah (laughs) i was like um and you know no No offense to german shepherds yeah Yeah, i love them they're great Mm -hmm. but i just was like hmm interesting of all of all the dogs i can't remember its name either but it was also something like champ or like i don't know like something kind of military like i don't know but um anyway (laughs) um so yeah those are those that's just the type of shit we're in for for the next four years or however yeah. long is, and then everyone's you know. gonna be like yay and again yeah like, let's celebrate 
I, I, I just, I hate um, kind of, I guess, like the policing of critique, you know, because it's like, listen, mm. my whole show is about radical hope and radical creativity. I have a whole positive leftist news segment that I do. Like, I'm all about that. And I'm all about celebrating the wins. But like, let's not invent wins that aren't really there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's appreciate yes. like where we are, like, like soberly appreciate the reality of where we are and like focus on where we're headed and not be distracted by these kinds of things that aren't that materially impactful, you know? Yeah. I just can already feel that we're sliding back into discussions about what's realistic yeah. and what do we expect him to do, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Oh. Um, Cause he's going to have basically the same excuse that Obama did mm-hmm. to not get anything done. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I just think like also I, this is what bothered me this whole year. And this was the fight I had with every vote blue, no matter who person, but it's like fight policy, not the person. Yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't resist Trump or whatever. Yeah. But like it really, at the end of the day, we're talking about structural oppression. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't matter who's in the white house. Like I don't want to move Biden left. I want to move our country left. Right. I want to move these systems left. I want to start dismantling these systems, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't want to talk about what Biden can or can't do. I don't want to talk about Trump. I want to talk about, like, what are we going to do to get this overturned? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do to start codifying things into law, Mm -hmm. like abortion, so we don't have to worry about it every time? Mm -hmm. And they're never going to just let that happen because that's a key issue to, right, like, polarize people. So it's like... That that was just my I'm like, okay, I get voting fine, but why are we spending one hundred percent of our energy talking about who's mm-hmm. gonna vote for Biden yeah. this year versus like, okay, we have all of this mobilization, we have all of this momentum. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we just fighting the systems right. and not worrying about like who's individually in the White House? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a bit frustrating to me. Um I reported on this on my latest positive leftist news video. Um, and it's really, really fantastic that all of these unions were basically coming together and um, getting organized and preparing to enact a general strike um, to ensure that there was like a smooth transition of power um, after the election because they expected Trump to pull a bunch of shit, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, that's wonderful. But then, you know, yeah, somebody rightfully commented like, well, where were they this whole fucking pandemic when people were losing their jobs, when the government was only giving $1,200, there was no rent freezes, there was no debt. Like, where were they? Like, why are, why are we waiting until the election and threatening to general strike so that Biden can get in? You know, like, what are our priorities here? Exactly. And yeah, this like COVID lockdown, like these were key times when that exact kind of organization would have been critical. Mm -hmm. These were key times to use this pandemic to open the door to policy change and to show them that like the workers are not going to put up with this shit. And you know what? Like not just in this critical time right now, but we're going to permanently change some stuff. Yeah. Because we have some power. Yeah. And it, it's not to undercut all of the workers who did organize. They did, but mm-hmm. we didn't see it on this level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are fine just letting things play out the way they were, who, yeah, now are coming up to make these, you know, very um, I don't know, theatrical 
kind of moves Mm -hmm. of like, oh, I'm going to protect, you know, protect the new president, make sure this happens. And it's Mm -hmm. like, cool, but like also, you know, there's people's daily lives were really heavily impacted here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, I don't know if we should talk first. I just wanted to mention, because you brought up like um, the abortion issue and Roe v. Wade. Um, Abby Martin and actually Empire Files has a really, really great video out about why we should abolish the Supreme Court (laughs) and why the Supreme Court is bullshit, um, and just completely undemocratic and just a hindrance to progress. Um, and that's one of the main things that you would hear if you were a leftist and you were saying, you know, like, well, I don't support Biden and, you know, whatever, um, I might vote for him strategically, but whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but people were, um, there was a lot of vote shaming going on, um, especially towards BIPOC folks, which I found really, really troubling, especially since far leftists do not make or break elections, um, especially no. like, unless they were all concentrated in swing states, which they weren't like, it's such a small part, like portion of the population. And meanwhile, like still, I think this was like, the most people came out for this election, there were still like almost 40% of people who didn't vote, you know, anyway. Um, but yeah, it, that, that's always really a talking point. Like, Oh, but you have to vote blue no matter who, because it's the, because of the Supreme court, right? Because we yeah. could lose a woman's right to choose. And that's always like every single election, how the Democrats, like the establishment Dems just are like, well, you know, we don't have to offer you anything. We don't have to, you know, uh, give anything to our progressive base, anything to change the material conditions of people. Like you just have to vote for us because we're not the other guy. And we need to make sure that the Supreme court is dominated by Democrats. Um, but you know, the Democrats under Obama didn't take the opportunity to, um, elect someone. So they left Trump with three spots. Um, and Roe v. Wade, which is the thing that people always talk about, that actually came down under the Nixon administration, right wing, um, and mm-hmm. the Supreme Court was dominated by the right wing at the time. And it came down because it was thanks to the power of all the people rising up, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even the recent uh, Supreme Court decision about um, like Oklahoma um, being native land um, came down from a, a Republican um, Supreme Court judge. So you know, it, it's, I don't know, right? Like this talking point that it's like, oh, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court. Um, first of all, it is an undemocratic institution. People have lifetime appointments and they can just overturn things that pass democratically because they are quote unquote unconstitutional. Um, but if you look at the history of all the decisions, um, you know, the there have been times where like decisions that were purportedly made because they upheld the constitution, um, were completely overturned, but it it had a lot to do with like people power rising up. Right. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because, Oh, we had a democratic judge in there that gave us a good ruling. Right. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because, um, it's just like every time, like a woman's right to choose is like brought up and it's just like, Oh, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade. (sighs) <sighs> and it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> heavy sigh, heavy sigh. <laughs> too long didn't listen <sighs> heavy sigh <laughs> yeah and it's like okay that yeah that came down um under nixon and when the supreme court was like more right-wing dominated so anyway um yeah i just wanted to bring that up but yeah and it's you know we used to bring this up on the show all the time there's some um 
I think we always accredit it to Harvard, but I think it might actually be Princeton. But there's some study out there that shows that the Supreme Court always um, votes on the side of like the ruling elite and what they want. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with popular opinion, except for in the case that I think the ruling elite is like, okay, we need to give them this one. exactly, Right. But it's yeah, it's an incredibly undemocratic um body Mm -hmm. government body and it's also as we'll see later like it can impact you know who's nominated into the presidency that's like isn't that a fucking conflict of interest there yeah like it's just such a big loop of you know the president gets to a point and they get to a you know they can have a hand in appointing the president and they've done all kind i mean the supreme court has a huge hand in how powerful corporations are Mm -hmm. in this country Mm -hmm. Um, I did some research on them before, and they they are the ones who have consistently voted in favor of corporations in, you know, just very clearly, horribly unethical um, activities that corporations have done. They've mm-hmm. just they've chosen to protect corporations. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not constitutional. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're just it's like the Bible. Like they basically can interpret it almost any way they want to. Yeah. And they're they're beholden to the ruling elite it mm-hmm. has nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, people power can come forward and sometimes shift some of this stuff and, you know, get favored, but then they also just hold it over our heads forever. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, we could overturn. And it's like, I'm sorry if this decision was upheld at the Supreme court because it was constitional, right. how could it be overturned? How- <laughs> right. How can it suddenly not? So be suddenly it's not constitutional anymore. Because, you know, even with Trump, there started to be uh, fears about things like gay marriage being overturned and, you know, other stuff like that. And so it's just, yeah, it's it's a way for them to – it's kind of like them having their buddies – and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. like, we'll let stuff get this far and then it's really official and we yeah. can just kind of decide, you know, we can read the room and decide how things are supposed to go, but it's a great way to hold stuff over the um, citizens' heads exactly, and keep us, like, very afraid. Because our two-system party, I mean, the biggest differences between the two are things like abortion, right? They are these things like gay marriage, Um and like you said, I mean, if that's been ruled on by the Supreme Court, that shouldn't be a threat anymore. But it is because it could be changed. And it's a great way to keep us divided and not really, um, you know, not really coming together along class lines or anything else that we have in common. Yeah. And it's really interesting, actually, Fox News, their exit mm-hmm. poll showed 71% of people said leave Roe v. Wade as it is. Versus versus 29% said overturn it. So it's not even something that a majority (sighs) of even Republicans seem to want, you know, or like really care about. Yeah, I was just on a call where we were coming together to try to, you know, as people from all different political views coming together to try to like talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting because the two Trump supporters that were on the call well, I think there are three, but one didn't really, she was moderating, so she didn't really like put her opinion in much. But um, the two that were participating, they both were like, oh yeah, I'm fine with abortion. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, a lot of people, like very few people actually care. Yeah. And it's this rise of Christian values and that's like a whole thing, um, you know, and that mm-hmm. ties into 
the rise of fascism and everything else. But yeah, it's even though it the uh, hardcore Christianity is much more prevalent in this country now than makes me comfortable. Like it makes me extremely uncomfortable how mm-hmm. much it's risen even in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's still not the majority no. of people. Right. And usually that's the only person who's going to really care about abortion is someone who's like very religiously affiliated. So, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, we look at the um, I know this is something we want to talk about today, but like you look at polling on so many progressive, uh, you know, platforms, you look at polling on things that you assume are really controversial and the numbers don't bear it out. No. And that's what that that study was proving is that, you know, we if we lived in a country where our uh, policies act- actually reflected what the citizens want, mm-hmm. we would basically be living in what most Bernie supporters would call like a utopia. Yeah. Right. We would have universal health care. We mm-hmm. would have legalized marijuana. We would have mm-hmm. a raised minimum wage. We'd have all these things because mm-hmm. the majority of the country agrees on that stuff. Yeah. So it's clearly something else is dividing us. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly, obviously, the system at work to keep us from having those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that same exit poll had like 75% wanted like government run health care. 72% said um, that, you know, refugees should have a pathway to full citizenship um, rather than be de- deported. Um yeah, fifty five percent said gun laws should be more strict. <laughs> <laughs> That's Fox News. You know? Wow, God. Yeah, yeah. I read um because I know you brought up the minimum wage in Florida, right? How yeah. that like that had majority support, and yet Trump still won in that state. And I was reading that. Um, there were progressive policies in a lot of conservative states where Biden didn't win. Yeah. Um, like I heard that legalized marijuana passed like everywhere yeah. that it was proposed. Oregon so there's legalized just... shrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. I know. I know. I'm like, oh, Canada, come on. I know. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just so much to indicate that like none of this is actually what the people want, but they've just done a very effective job at getting us to personally identify with the candidate mm-hmm. and get us getting us to feel um, this threat to like whatever our quote unquote way of life is by the other person mm-hmm. to the point where it actually obscures what we want mm-hmm. on a day to day, like the policies that we need to impact our our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunately extremely effective. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, So I guess moving into um, this idea of like vote shaming and all of that. um, Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Electoral College, (laughs) Um, how it works, why it's a sham, uh, that whole that whole fun bit. Okay, so I'm going to try to do this as concisely as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Electoral College um, is actually the body that elects the president each cycle. So I think in more recent years, I think especially after 2016, a lot more people are aware of this because, you know, the Electoral College came in, into play so heavily in the last election. Mm-hmm. 
with uh, Hillary Clinton losing the popular vote, or sorry, winning the popular vote, but losing the overall election. And because it was such a contested election, a lot of people started talking about the Electoral College. This certainly wasn't the first time in recent years that it happened. I know I actually got um, demoralized and disenfranchised with the Bush versus Gore election. Um, But you know, this, I think, just really brought it into focus. So I think Mm -hmm. at least most people are somewhat aware that obviously the popular vote isn't the end-all be-all to who wins the presidency. Mm -hmm. So the electors are chosen. There's very few rules around who the electors can be. They basically can't have engaged in an insurrection or rebellion (laughs) against the United States. Okay. Um, Sure. And they can't be a member of Congress, hold federal office, and that's about it. Then after that, the individual states figure out how they're appointed. So I can't really tell you exactly how they're appointed because it differs state to state, but just know that there's really no qualifications and there's they're basically just chosen to be people who are known to be party loyalists so that they can be, you know, uh, trusted to vote the way they're supposed to when it comes down to it. What the hell? Um I know. (laughs) So they coincide with how many congressional members are in each state. So for instance, in California, where I live, we have 53 members in the House and two in the Senate. So we have 55 total electoral votes. There are 538 votes total. So you can see just from that, like the state I live in has about 10%, actually more than 10% of the overall electoral votes. Mm -hmm. And my state always goes blue. Mm-hmm. We always go Democrat. So you can see there already how this is kind of like, it's supposed to quote unquote even things out, but like clearly it doesn't. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it. So anyway, there's uh, 538 votes total. So that's why if you watch election results as they come in, there's the little graph that shows the 270 in the middle. And whoever mm-hmm. hits that is supposed to be declared winner because that's half plus one. So mathematically, you know, if someone hits 270, the other person should not be able to get more than that. That means that in reality, only 538 people actually make the final decision of who wins the presidency each cycle, which is a little bananas. Um, So electors are somewhat beholden to the popular vote. They are supposed to cast their votes for whoever gets the majority of the popular votes in their state but they are not actually required by federal law to do so. Since the 2016 election, there have been some states which have instituted state laws requiring them to do so. So again, it kind of differs state by state um, because in 2016, some electors did decide to cast their votes either for a third party to make a statement or, you know, for the other candidate to make a statement. So some states did step in to say, okay, we do need to require this now, but it's not a federal law. Hmm. Nebraska and Maine um, are the only exceptions. They have a congressional district method, but neither state has ever split their vote. So functionally, it remains the same. Like they don't end up voting differently than other states do. Um, If no candidate gets 270 votes or doesn't have at least a clear majority, then the House of Representatives chooses the president. Oh, (laughs) surprise twist. So (laughs) when we're voting, I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. So when we're voting, we're actually voting for an elector, not the president. Mm -hmm. And we're entrusting that elector that they will cast their vote 
to whoever wins the majority in our state. So the Electoral College is put into place for many reasons, the broadest reason being that the Founding Fathers were trying to figure out how to balance the power of the people with the power of the state and federal government. A more cynical reading would be they are trying to figure out how to make the people feel that they had a hand in the government while, also, while actually giving the power to the state and federal government. Mm -hmm. So one of the assumptions they made when establishing the Electoral College is that there would often be no clear winner, which would allow Congress to step in and actually choose the president, therefore making it seem like people were voting on the president, but that it was just because the people couldn't decide clearly who is the winner, then the government would have to step in and make that decision. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think more often than I think, especially in modern times, more often than not, that hasn't been the case. There have been clear winners, but that was the thought process going into it is that, oh, we can make it look like people are participating. But really, we're anticipating that more often than not, the House is going to pick the president. Mm. So the Electoral College was created out of classism and racism to prevent entrusting the election of the president in whole to citizens that they deemed too uneducated to make a proper decision. And also, of course, to protect the rule of the the will of the ruling class, which was at the time white male property owners. And surprise, surprise, not much has changed mm -hmm. in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, we have expanded voting, but obviously the ruling class has found ways to still make it a small group of people that the system is actually working for. Mm -hmm. So this set the president precedent that instead of engaging citizens in political education and discourse, politics would be something held apart from and above them. Just to start to debunk a little bit, like we can see here that this already, this reasoning was already pretty bullshit. And they discovered that even back when they first implemented this, that because obviously back then, you know, people running for president, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have planes, we didn't have good ways to like get information in people across the country. So they were like, how will people know, mm -hmm. you know, who to vote for? But what they found pretty quickly is that their local politicians would be apprised of these things and would be able to speak to people about the issues. So people are actually more educated even back then than they had anticipated. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, today, you know, we have um, most people finish high school where you have some of this education. We have news cycles. A lot of people go to college. There's the Internet. There's political discourse on YouTube. So this stuff is much more readily available. And it just shows that the Electoral College, you know, this aspect of it is just completely nonsensical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard, so I was listening, this is again from um, Abby Martin, but on Media Roots was saying that um, the Electoral College um, also grew out of like slavery because there mm -hmm. was some negotiations. It was basically like Southern slave owners um, wanted to be able to like speak for slaves without actually giving them rights. <laughs> Um, cause yeah. it was like, oh, there's, there's actually a lot more people in these States, but most of them are slaves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so we should be able to speak for these people, but not give them rights. I don't know if, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. Like so no, that was another big reason why this was established was the South threw a fit and we're like, there's more 
eligible voters in the North than there are in the South. But in the South, we have a larger population if we're including enslaved peoples. So what they did is that they allowed the South to count their slaves towards how many elector electors they would have in each state oh, without, of course, allowing those people to vote. And yep. that's where, you know, if you hear three-fifths, mm. like three-fifths a man, that's where that came from, is they were allowed to count their enslaved population as three-fifths of a person. Jesus. Yeah. And it um, ended up hugely so this was supposed to balance the scales right this ended up hugely benefiting virginia in particular mm -hmm. who i think at the time there were like 91 electors like total and virginia got like an extra 13 or something so they were saying for like out of 39 consecutive presidential or 39 years of presidential cycles anyway 32 of them were like a like um, what's the word I'm looking for? We're like a white property owning, like sharecropper from Virginia. We're president. Jesus. Because Virginia basically was able to call the whole election, just that one state. Oh my God. So this has never actually been a system that balances the scales. It has always actually benefited, um, the South white property owners mm -hmm. and specifically, you know, people who uh, participated in slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, so the 14th Amendment came along after and tried to balance this out a bit. So what they said with the 14th Amendment is that anyone who currently has the right to vote, who's eligible to vote, if you're in a state where the state blocks that right to vote, that state will lose electors and therefore have less of a say in who becomes president. And the South basically said, fuck you, we don't care. We're going to block these votes anyway. So it didn't really work to help like enfranchise people who had won the right to vote. Mm. Um, and I just think it like even more points to the fact that like it's still such an effective way to disenfranchise people in those areas mm -hmm. because if you have a state i i watched a video and i'll give you the link for the show notes that was really good it was kind of debunking the electoral college and saying why it's a sham and they showed maps of it and stuff and there's so many specifically especially black indigenous and i think latinx people who live in red states and their votes never count mm -hmm. and they're never going to be appealed to by any candidate because they know that that state just goes red. Mm -hmm. And yes, you could say the same for a state that goes blue, but like, mm -hmm. since we're all leftists here, I think we can understand <laughs> that it's obviously <laughs> more problematic for like black and indigenous people to not have a say in, you know, policy than it is for like a white, you know, middle class or upper class uh, person, mm -hmm. privileged person. Um, so yeah, it just it really does. So it essentially what they try to say is that it helps to balance out the vote and like uplift the voices of the mi minority, but it doesn't at all. Mm -hmm. it, it actually drowns them out. And where if we had a popular vote where it was just the popular vote that counted, mm -hmm. everyone voting would be counted towards that pool, but you don't have that. So we see states that are, you know, very red, but have populations of people who come out and um, want a change and they just never get to actually have a say. Mm -hmm. And it shows that it actually um, 
because of that, it depresses the votes in states that are not swing states. So like my state, California, even though we're this enormous state with this huge population, we're like 10th in voting, Hmm. you know, adjusted for population. Because we know, like I know, I don't need to vote. I do because of local stuff. But I don't need to vote because my state's always going to go blue. So Mm -hmm. why why am I going to bother myself to go vote, right, Mm -hmm. if I know that? And so it shows that states that aren't – swing states matter because you don't know which way they're going to go, so every vote does count. Um, But, yeah, it actually depresses – it, like, um, de-incentivizes people from voting. And that's where we see with a lot of BIPOC populations is they're, like – I'm disenfranchised as fuck by this whole system, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to come out and vote. Mm-hmm. And that's where we saw this year a lot of those disagreements online by people mm-hmm. of those communities trying to tell white people who are like, vote blue no matter who. Like, yeah. you don't understand, like, the entire situation. Like, even if I do vote, it's not going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like... My interests aren't being represented. At all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, indigenous people are like, I don't even Fuck recognize you. this fucking yeah. government. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, yeah. even like, and that's true, but um, like the Navajo Nation, like, is credited for f- flipping Arizona because mm-hmm. they went out like yeah. over 80% like went out <sighs> and voted yes. for Biden. And, and we can see, I mean, so, yes, there is a lot of validity to the argument of, like, if you can get enough people out to vote, you can get the numbers to basically push it the way that you want it to go, right, state mm-hmm. by state and then also federally. Um, like, with Biden, he did not win a landslide vote, mm-hmm. and so it's almost by luck. And, and it's not really by luck. It's about these these people and it's largely like BIPOC people that he owes his presidency to that came out and made sure to flip some of those states and some of those districts in his favor so that even though he didn't have like an overwhelming popular vote, he had the electorals that he, electoral votes that he needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, it's not there's also so much that can happen to prevent people from being able to vote. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm to just rely on people coming out and pushing those numbers isn't far enough mm-hmm. because we saw I like I'm sh- it, the only thing that saved this election was mail in ballots like Trump was right about that mm-hmm. that's the only thing that saved this election because they had shut down so many polling places they had done a bunch of stuff to physically prevent people from voting that if we had to rely on a physical vote we wouldn't have gotten the votes mm-hmm. needed to to flip this one. Right. Um, like in Georgia, Georgia is an extremely red state, but I think they ended up going towards Biden because of these mail-in and absentee ballots mm-hmm. that were able to be cast. Mm-hmm. They were able to actually get, um, even though they still had it red rest of the ticket, they were able to get people to vote, vote Biden in. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And I think another another way, so another thing that people say about this is, uh, oh, well, what about, you know, like rural voters? You know, if we didn't have the electoral college, then people in the cities would just like overwhelm us with their liberal policies and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and 
two things about that. So one thing is we still have state and local elections. So there's still like our states actually have a lot of power. And we've seen that during the pandemic, like state to state, people have had wildly different experiences Mm because you have governors have a lot of power. Like governors can actually um, do a more moratorium on um, evictions. Mm -hmm. They can do all kinds of stuff. And we saw that, like, depending on what state you're in, you maybe had a much better, much worse experience of this of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But secondly, when we actually break down populations, um, rural versus urban is almost even. Mm -hmm. There's actually like an even amount of people. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make any sense. Like, yes, the cities are more densely populated, Mm -hmm. but we have our country is enormous. Mm -hmm. And so the non-city areas are also like collectively have a high population. It's almost 50, 50. It's very close. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, if we look at like the political makeup of those cities, I think they take like a hundred major cities to make like the majority. Mm -hmm. Um, about half of those cities are conservative And for the, so it's like half and half are conservative versus liberal. And then the ones that aren't a clear, they're like an equal mix of both. Mm -hmm. So no matter which way you split it, there isn't actually this like minority that's being crushed by these like urban voters, Mm -hmm. the way that they make it seem. Yeah. So yeah, just overall, like popular vote. I mean, it's still a terrible system and there's a lot of changes that need to happen. But I think if we could get rid of the electoral college and we could get rid of the Supreme court, mm-hmm. we, those are two government bodies that are just super corrupt Yeah, and not serving the people in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually astounding, like learning more about how the system works. <laughs> it is. Like democracy and freedom. Okay. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I guess, uh, I guess now maybe let's talk about like what Trump is doing right now, what he's oh, trying yes. to do, what he could possibly pull off, uh, before January. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. possible, but it it is possible. Um, mm-hmm. it's fortunately less likely than it looked before. Um, mm-hmm. just the way everything kind of fell out, I I don't think it's likely to happen, but it is still possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so something to understand is that the elect actual electoral college vote is held in December after governors certify the votes in their states. Mm-hmm. So this is important because often the vote is called the night election night. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that this process is actually really extended out because at that point, usually there's a clear winner. And so the rest of it's just kind of perfunctory stuff that you have to do. Um, but Trump is taking advantage of the fact that this this election actually technically isn't over yet. So what he can do... Um, the states must, so the electoral college will officially vote on December 14th. The states have to resolve their votes by December 8th. Um, and the election isn't over until those votes are accepted, which actually happens in January. Mm-hmm. So we have months for Trump to be up to a bunch of shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trump so far, he has a team of over 20 lawyers, and he's filed over 40 lawsuits from his campaign contesting votes in several states. 
And so what this means is he has until December 8th to make at least one of those lawsuits stick and potentially get um, a state overturned. Mm. Um, So again, because of how many more votes Biden had, Trump would probably have to overturn, you know, a few states. And that's not likely to happen. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing the first step of this is that he's demanding that votes in key states are being validated. And we're seeing a lot of that come through. Like that was in Arizona. I actually read that Arizona got flipped to Trump, but then I checked it today and it looks like it's still Biden, but it's by like a tenth of a percent. It's very, very close. Yikes. And that's what these lawyers were put together to do. Like they formed a team and they had a strategy coming into this election that they knew which states, which areas to target, because there are certain areas where literally just thousands of votes can make a difference. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one of the things Trump has done um, or his team has done really has accused uh, 3,000 votes in Nevada of being fraudulent by saying they were improperly cast absentee ballots, even though the people were not living in the state at the time. Mm -hmm. So like an absentee ballot, you can only cast it if you're not living in that state. Mm -hmm. So even though these people were following the rules, they're calling them fraudulent. And what the reason for this is because they targeted military families that tend to be Um, You may be able to still be registered in a state while having been moved somewhere else because you might have been moved there temporarily. So Mm -hmm. for military families, stuff like absentee ballots tend to be a bit looser and more common than they would be for, you know, other people who tend to work and live in the same place and are able to set down roots because they're being moved all over the place. Mm -hmm. So now he's pissed off a bunch of military personnel. (laughs) Well, that's not going to help you with a coup. (laughs) Because this list includes over a thousand locations, mostly where military personnel are stationed. And even some of the locations are actual Air Force bases. Um, So yeah, there's been one woman in particular I saw has been like going all over social media, like super pissed, giving interviews about how mad she is uh, about this. Um, That's awesome. You know, just being very offended that, like, the president would accuse her family of doing something like this, which is not smart on his part. Because, again, if he ends up pulling this off, obviously, or whether he does or doesn't, actually, the military would be a big part of his strategy to stay in power. And, you know, a bunch of them are mad at him. So uh, the next step is, you know, the first is to file the lawsuits and hope that by demanding recounts, maybe something comes through in your favor. The next step is if any of those legal challenges make it to the Supreme Court. So tying it back, Mm -hmm. if it does go to the Supreme Court, we're in trouble because the Supreme Court at this point is now heavily favored for Mm -hmm. Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a chance that they would reject it. That could happen. And I think a lot of it, again, would come down to whether it would make the difference between him winning or losing or not, because they don't think they're going to vote in his favor, but still have him lose. Mm -hmm you know, what would be the point? Um, Because at that point, you're going to start pissing off citizens and you're going to start like very much concerning other people in power. So at that, I just think like for you to pull that kind of move, it would have to be a winning move and not, oh, we just pissed everyone off, but like he's still losing anyway. So what's the point? But wouldn't that still piss off so many people and just like really Mm -hmm. undermine the legitimacy of the court in general? Yeah, Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) that's why this whole thing is like what is even going on right now Uh 
Um, and then the last line of defense or attack, depending on how you look at it, is the electors themselves. So electors in key states like Pennsylvania, as we talked about before, are not actually required to vote with the popular vote. So if Trump could enforce enough pressure on key people in key states, he could actually steal the election. Obviously, we know that that would not be a good way to do it because you're not going to have the support of the American people and you're even going to lose a lot of allies in your own party doing that because that would just be like mask off undemocratic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is possible. And with Trump, I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I do feel like he's someone who is going to try to hang on to this presidency no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um We see right now he has the full backing of people like Mitch McConnell, Leslie Graham, and Mike Pompeo. Pompeo actually came out and said that they're preparing for a smooth transition in the second Trump administration. Wow. With like a shit-eating grin. And that's like chilling for someone in his position to say that. Mm -hmm. That like they're they're not recognizing the Biden at all. Um Trump has also been making some deeply concerning moves by firing any military personnel. He's been firing a bunch of people at the Pentagon who have opposed him or haven't fully backed him on stuff he's wanted to do. And he's been replacing them with sycophants and people who are like deeply concerning characters, like people who have no ethics and who otherwise like wouldn't even pass the requirements to get put into some of these positions. Um, And then, you know, also very concerning, we see a lot of key Republicans, a lot of people are refusing to comment on the situation, which to me says they're waiting to see which way the wind blows. Mm. So if if he can look like he's getting his way, he will have a lot more support, but he has to kind of like pass that barrier first. So again, all of this to say, I think all of this is probably, all of this is unlikely. Mm -hmm. I don't think he I think the way everything fell out, he's not going to be able to pull this off, but he's clearly making every move he has available to him to try. Mm -hmm. And that is very concerning. And then also very concerning is that, say, we do get him out. We actually get him to leave the White House. He's still not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now he has established um, I was reading someone talking about this and they're like, you know, we think of like the Clintons and we think of the Bushes and stuff. But like. Even though a lot of us look at him as a joke, like Trump has now established a dynasty. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not him in the future, it could be one of his like family members. He may have opened the door. And I know something I think this segues us nicely into, um, you know, we saw neoliberalism got us Trump. Yeah. And now we're heading into more neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's like, a far reach to say that someone who's a bit smoother than Trump, who's better mannered, who's maybe better looking and younger, like someone who could actually get people behind him wouldn't be far behind a mm-hmm. Biden presidency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is extremely apt and, you know, fairly horrifying. Um, I also like what you said before when we were talking, well, I don't like it, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, a, a good observation that, um, even if he's not the president, right? Like he's built up this whole, like this whole MAGA movement, um, mm-hmm. all of these QAnon, like 
you know, people who are just really super invested, like violently so, um, in this, these QAnon narratives and in Trump as the president and all of this stuff, um, you know, he's going to save us from the sat satanic pedophiles and all this stuff, right? Um, you know, like so those 80s. people, like, like Trump needed to lose really badly and he yeah. didn't. And part of the reason why he didn't, which we're going to get into, is like, yeah, neoliberalism does not beat fascism, right? Like neoliberalism leads to fascism. You can't fight fascism with neoliberalism. And that is ultimately why this race was so close, despite all these polls saying that it was going to be this landslide victory. But he actually, like Trumpism, uh, this is something that Bo said in one of his videos, that Trumpism, um, like he needed to lose by a large margin for Trumpism to really be kind of mm. quieted down and be defeated. Yeah. Um, the fact that he only like barely lost and now there's still like half the country thinks that actually this was fraudulent or whatever. Um, you know, th these people, this movement, this energy, like it's not going away. And now he can sit there and tweet whatever he wants. He can mm -hmm. like rile people up into these frenetic, you know, mental states. And, um, he's going to have less, um, I mean, not that he was like holding back as president, like his tweets were <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> but, but you know, um, yeah. but he can, he's still, he's not going to go anywhere. Like he has, he's not walking away in complete shame. Um, and he can just keep saying that like, oh, well this was fraudulent and whatever. Um, yeah. And then and he will. Yeah. And he will. And then like rile people up for four years from now. I mean, he must be the first president in like history or at least in like remotely recent history that has shit talked the hell out of the winner mm -hmm. right because that's such a thing about decorum is like yeah. once those votes are in because we saw that with obama like you mm -hmm. could tell obama can't stand him but he only spoke you know like politely of him mm -hmm. he wouldn't say anything because you're not supposed to like it undermines our entire yeah <laughs> system here for one president to be like oh this guy got in on a fraud and he's a sham yeah, and he's yeah. an, you know he's gonna ruin the country like you can't do that mm -hmm. um but we see trump is out here holding press conferences where he's just talking biden into the ground he's fear-mongering mm -hmm. about everything and he's blatantly declaring himself the winner mm -hmm. he's i mean he even had fox news cut him off which i don't I don't think the news stations cutting him off is good at all. I don't celebrate that, mm -hmm. um, which is like a whole other topic. But anyway, like, yeah, you even have like Fox News is like, OK, we need to start <laughs> distancing ourselves from this guy because he's like going nuts. Um, so, yeah, he's I, I've heard, too, like a big reason probably why he's also fighting leaving the presidency is because he has done a lot of illegal things and the presidency has kind of shielded him from that and he won't be shielded once he leaves. Mm. But I'm like, even with that, honestly, like it'll probably just give him more status, you know, even if he does end up getting. Um, I don't know if he'd actually go to prison or not, but. Even if something does come down on him, I just feel like it'll heighten his murder status. Oh, for sure. And again, even if he ends up being indisposed and unable to run again because of these legal um, things that have happened, he like still has this whole legacy of people behind him who can step in and and benefit from him, mm -hmm. you know, having this murder status with these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he got an additional like six million Seven, votes or so. Yeah. Like he. Yeah, he actually gained additional followers. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. We can't look at this and say that this was like any kind of actual win mm -hmm. here. We barely scraped by in getting him out. Mm -hmm. We're still actually waiting to see if he gets out. And yeah, there's a, what, 70 million, 74 million, however many it was, people who voted for him mm -hmm. that we now have to be neighbors and friends with mm -hmm. and find a way to like heal this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, diving more into this idea of like neoliberalism not beating fascism. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, because a lot of those votes, right? So like, like I was saying, with um, these counties where people were really impoverished, um, and, you know, in 2016, you know, like, over 60%, like 70% voted Clinton, they now they switched to Trump, um, because of the economic issue that they can't actually meet their basic needs, because there's a pandemic, and nobody's offering people anything. Um, so yeah, neoliberalism does not beat fascism, because fascism says, like we said, like eugenics, get out there and work, we're going to open the economy. And then when the other guys are proposing, like neoliberal, you know, free market strategies, like, oh, the market will decide or oh, whatever, deal with it yourself, personal responsibility, you should have saved for this rainy day or whatever. Um, then Trump's plan sounds like the working class plan, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then exactly like you had Florida, yeah, passing $15 minimum wage, but still voting for Trump. That just shows you how completely, you know, like what a what a embarrassment the Democratic Party was in that state and that you couldn't propose like you couldn't give people anything um, to entice them to vote for you. Like they obviously want material change. Right. Um, and like all these Fox exit polls. Right. Like this is where the country is. Um, you know, people want universal health care, um, mm -hmm. but the Dems will not provide that because they rely on these big insurance donors, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, freeing the markets, especially under this like racial capitalist system, just makes things so much materially worse for people that of course, if someone steps in like a Trump, whatever, um, and starts blaming, you know, blaming the left, blaming immigrants, blaming this or blaming that, and being like, Oh, well, we're gonna open the we're gonna open the economy for you. Um, then it's no wonder, of course, like, you know, nobody yeah. wants neoliberalism, right? And already you have people in, in the Democratic Party being like, see, um, you know, the the country has rejected socialism, you know, the country, <sighs> the country is just so afraid of socialism. And it's like, no, the country rejected neoliberalism. The country right. rejected neoliberalism in 2016. People were like, fuck Hillary Clinton, you know, yeah. Um and that was because of, you know, all these years uh, under Obama and Biden. And like, rightfully, right, like when Trump came up and said, like, th these are the establishment characters, right? Like people believed him because they were like, yeah, the Democrats are the establishment. Like, it didn't really matter exactly. that Trump also was. It's just at least he was calling them out, right? And so like, I don't want to say whatever Bernie would have won. Um, <laughs> you know, like, that doesn't matter. Um <laughs> And you can't, you know, it's, it's pointless to speculate about that and whatever. But if you're at least if you were going to go with the Biden, right, like at least propose fucking material change. Like if you ignore people, you're not going to win. You're not going to yeah. win. Well, and the irony of him calling himself like he wants to be the next FDR is that FDR was smart enough to know that he had to give yeah. some socialist concessions to the people because right. they had a revolution on their hands. Yeah. And he was like, they're coming for us. We're in the same position now mm -hmm. 
I mean, we're literally in our next great depression, right? We're literally in like very similar conditions to what we were before. And I would Mm -hmm. say in some ways even worse with the pandemic and all these like other factors. Um, And yet Biden is not, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to, intelligence is hard to measure in this case, but like they're, they're, again, it's like the condescension. They just mm-hmm. don't believe that will actually come for them. Mm-hmm. They just have this this weird, like, endless-seeming <laughs> um, confidence that they mm-hmm. can just keep doing these mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and that they'll just keep getting away with it. And it's and it's frustrating to me because they don't know that they're not wrong. You know, exactly. like, I, I don't I, – I see, obviously, I, a lot of comrades who are doing the work and, like, Mm-hmm. will always be fighting that fight. But like, obviously, you, at some point, you have to hit some critical mass there and get like the normies on board. And I just don't mm-hmm. know. I was listening to um one of my favorite podcasts by any means necessary. It's really good for like, news and like political commentary from the left. And Jackie Lukman, who's one of the hosts of the show, you know, told the story about they were organized, they organized a rally and on Saturday and were you know, out there and it was like educating people and talking about like defunding the police and like all these other policy changes. And then the news got announced that Biden had won. And she said these like women who are doing yoga nearby started like cheering and clapping. And she said that like her and the other black women that were there, like were trying to talk to them and be like, actually, like this isn't something to celebrate. Like Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of concern to be had here. And she's like, they literally like would not engage with us. They wouldn't pay attention to us. Mm -hmm. And they just kept like partying and celebrating and talking over our like, um, you know, meeting that we were having. And I'm just like, that is, that is (laughs) what I'm worried about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's more common than people think. Like, or I do think a lot of these white people who are reading white fragility earlier this year and like calling out their own privilege are just going to be like, Oh, yay, Yay. everything's fine again. Right. And they're going to be ignoring like black women who are organizing and being like, Mm -hmm. no, actually things are still pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And just another thing, I think a point to add to like why neoliberalism doesn't eat Trump uh, fascism mm-hmm. is I hate that that's his name because it's like a word I use a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, damn it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, is that fascism? You know, obviously it's dangerous and it's not something I want to say is a, a good tactic or something to celebrate. But like, fascism gives people a reason why their lives suck. Yeah. Right. It explains it to them. It's the wrong explanation, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a horrifying. horrible, evil explanation. Mm-hmm. But it is an explanation that makes sense to the people that they're talking to. Mm -hmm. Neoliberalism doesn't. Mm -hmm. Neoliberalism gaslights you all the time, right, into thinking that it's your own fault um, or that these tiny changes are all that's needed, but the system generally works. And that may have worked before when your typical white person could have, like, access to a middle-class sort of life. It doesn't, it never worked for BIPOC folk, right? Like they Uh always saw through it. Mm -hmm. And now it doesn't work for a lot of white people either, because now we don't have access to that kind of life. Many Mm -hmm. of us are, you know, I was talking about this the other day, but I'm like, think about your average 16 to 22 year old right now. If you ask them, like, what do you want to do? I mean, they know, like, I don't, I can't afford a house. I can't afford college. I Mm -hmm. know that there's no jobs. Like, what do they have? Mm -hmm. So, 
this old guard of the the neolibs and the dems like they don't seem to care or understand that like if they're going to continue to stay in power they have to do better than telling us that things mm-hmm. are fundamentally fine mm-hmm. um it just doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. and that's why the power is on the left like the left is actually true leftism radical leftism is actually what counters fascism yeah and that's why, you know, I wouldn't say Bernie is a radical leftist by any means, but that's why his campaign had so much momentum mm-hmm. because he was telling people why things, why your life is shitty mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense yes. and actually stops blaming other people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah, and that was so important because like like he went on Fox News and like got really a good reception um, mm-hmm. because yeah, he was saying things that you know, made sense to people. And I think, you know, this whole QAnon stuff, right? Like people develop conspiracy theories because their life is so shit that they feel like they feel like we're being screwed over. They know they're being screwed over. And that is a really palpable feeling. And if you don't really have like the education, um, and of course, there's like no political education in the US, you know, like, yeah, you're gonna fall prey to a lot of these wild theories. Um, because you're just like, yeah, I know that I'm being screwed over and like, I want to know who's doing it and I want to like, you know, I want to, how do we make it better? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, really, really dangerous what they're doing. And, you know, going back to like the FDR thing, like, yeah, they read the room. They were like, yeah, there's going to be a revolution, (laughs) Um, if we don't make these concessions, I think that the, the neolibs, like the establishment Dems today, I I don't even want to think that I I don't even think that they're bad strategists. I think that they have read the room. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that they just refuse to change their strategy because they would rather protect their own interests than win more elections, right? Like to them, a Trump presidency isn't that bad. They're still doing fine. In fact, they probably got a huge tax cut, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that they will continue to gaslight because they will protect their interests until the very last moment when they can no longer do that anymore. Right. Um, and so I think like the left for us right now, um, we're in a really critical time because we need to be the ones like we need to get out there and make sure to educate like all these liberals who were super against Trump and who, you know, got a bit more political during this time. We need to make sure that like they understand that neoliberalism hurts them too, right? Like neoliberalism hurts us all. That is the problem here. Um, And if we don't make major changes in the next four years, we're going to end up right back with, you know, fascism um right. and i don't even want to like people somebody commented like oh biden is still like a neo-fascist and i'm like yeah i don't even want to say like that we've like escaped fascism <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well no that's the thing is that the democrats have gotten so ghoulish that it really is two sides of the same coin it's just like i don't know 1984 versus like Star Wars. I don't know yeah. how to get, you know what I mean? Because like 1984 shows, you know, a society where the news is uh, edited to sound like it, it's it's a society to me that is actually quite neoliberal mm. to the point of becoming, you know, dystopian, fascist, whatever. Um, 
And we're seeing that in real time. I mean, it's not just Fox News that alters information, mm -hmm. right? It's these liberal news sources as well. Um, there's either misinformation through like uh, omitting stuff or there's reframing of things in a deceptive way. But we've seen that happening. And that's a huge sign of, of a country falling into fascism, authoritarianism, what have you. Um, I just think, yeah, they're establishing some new, some new evil empire mm -hmm. and we're just largely falling for it. And I don't understand it. And I, that's why I think you're right that I, I think they have read the room and I do think that they're good strategists. And I think what they're betting on is just getting, is just being able to continue to control the masses mm -hmm. no matter how mm -hmm. bad it gets they're betting yeah. on their ability to right have us mm -hmm. all under i mean it's not like it's just the republicans who've militarized our police yeah there's a reason for that mm -hmm. so they're betting on just pushing us to the breaking point and then once we start breaking just getting us mm -hmm. under their thumb in a different way yeah um and i just hope to your point i hope that we on the left can continue to do the work to talk to to liberals, people, you know, independents, whoever might be able to be moved to say, like, look around you. Do you see what's happening? Let me explain things to you and to try to continue to build because mm -hmm. you made a point when we were talking that I think is very true is that Biden is going to try to get us back to like normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we still have a pandemic, mm -hmm. right? We still have an economic crisis. We still have uh, environmental disasters all over the place. So he's not actually going to be able to quell us the way he would have been able to, you know, even 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's there's active things that are going to be adding stressors that have to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And if we, I'm hoping, continue to see, like, say, during a Biden presidency, there's still no COVID relief. Mm -hmm. There's still nothing substantial coming out. I have people are still losing their homes and getting evicted and all of this. I have to hope that people are going to be like, okay, mm -hmm. I, I can hear it now. Yeah. Right. Like we can have this conversation now because I, I can look around and I can finally admit that like, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully like be out in the streets, you know, like, I hope so. Like finally, you know, like just be, yeah, get out there. Yeah. I, I really hope that too. Um, <laughs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> Deep sigh. <laughs> Deep sigh. Deep sigh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely really hope that too. I mean, in some ways I think that, yeah, like a Biden presidency, presidency is not going to diffuse the revolutionary energy the way that Obama did. Mm -hmm. But I just mm -hmm. seeing how people have reacted to getting Trump out of office, I think that people are exhausted and they kind of do yeah. just want to let Biden like diffuse the revolutionary energy. And if he's doing things like offering to, uh, you know, relieve student debt and, um, accept more refugees, which is fucking amazing. Um, I think people might be like, okay, I don't really have to be out in the streets, but it's like, no, this, we, these are the four years that we need to be out in the streets making radical, yeah. radical changes. Um, because yeah, in four years, we're going to have to be able to show like, yeah, this is how we've materially improved things since the Trump era or half the freaking country is going to just vote in like the next fascist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we need to hold, 
you know, the vote blue no matter who people's feet to the fire and say, this is what you promised. Yeah. Right? You promised if we got them in, you were going to be here in the streets with us fighting. So, like, let's yeah, go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's and, like, do don't it. call me immature. You know, I just, I'm, I'm just yeah. really not looking forward That's to That's what I mean. Whole, I don't like, want to go back to those, like, realistic, quote unquote, realistic exactly. conversations. Don't come at me with that. Yeah. Don't come at me with, like, maturity politics and, yeah. like, all of that bullshit, you know? Um, the U.S., I think, is on its third day of record-breaking COVID cases globally. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me about what's realistic. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, like, uh, millions and millions of Americans are still set to be homeless in January. So is Biden going to deal with that? Yeah. At the height of winter. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's – um, I, I do – my – my little prediction, we'll see. I hope it doesn't come true. But I do think that we may see six months to a year of people kind of being like tired and just sort of wanting to allow it to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see it lasting the whole four years. Yeah. I think there's just going to be too many mitigating factors that are going to push people into action. Mm-hmm. So, well, I hope the first part's not true. I hope this part is true. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that, <laughs> you know, it does work that, you know, because again, yeah, even in January when all those people lose their homes, like I, I have to hope that we're going to see some solidarity around that, mm-hmm. um, that we're going to see people, you know, seeing their own Im- families impacted mm-hmm. are going to want to do something about that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it sucks because this, this hope is pinned on things continuing to be really dire for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. No. But I, I just don't trust people to not take the first opportunity to be like, cool. I don't yeah. have to be stressed out anymore. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go chill. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. It's like, fuck, we all want to fucking chill, okay? Like, yeah. That's literally all you and I ever talk about is how much <laughs> we just want to chill. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and that's, you no know, chilling. not to not to promote ourselves, but I think that's why work like this is really important because I think what people are more than anything exhausted of is like fighting and this uh, black and white thinking around what strategy is best or, you know, what we need to be concerned about. So I think if we on the left can do the work to be more relatable, be more approachable, drop the debate me bro culture and find ways to like actually connect with people where they're at. And on an emotional way, you talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. of just, you know, that's what the right is really good at is like uh, having an emotional narrative that people can connect with. Mm -hmm. I think if we can do that, because the left tends to stay a bit more academic and I think in some cases likes this almost ivory tower approach to it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, bro, that's not going to get people in the streets. Like you've Mm got to talk to people Mm -hmm. in a way that resonates for them. Um, And then let them like, you know, get as much education as they want. But I think that that's really important. So I hope that Mm -hmm. we can all, you know, maybe we all need to take a breath, take a minute. I certainly needed to over the last few weeks, but Mm -hmm. get back out into it. And, you know, as much as I'm like saying, I'm pissed at vote blue no matter who people because they were terrible to me all year. Uh Um, I actually don't want to be combative with those people. Uh You know, I want to try to find a way to connect with them and be like, okay, like, honestly, you said that this is what you're going to do. Like, 
can we have a conversation? Like, can I, do you see what's happening? Can Mm -hmm. we talk about this policy and why it concerns me or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And not, and not be like, Oh, fuck you. Like you told me to vote this way. And now, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fucking live. I might say it to myself after, (laughs) you know, I'm done interacting. But yeah, I do think it's, um, I don't want to be like all kumbaya about it, but I do think it's important for us to try to, there's going to be a lot of, really obvious and easy ways to connect with people who are hurting. And I hope that we can just do that mm-hmm. and kind of leave the other bullshit behind us, yeah. you know, and just move forward. Exactly. And I mean, like in terms of like getting out there, like, especially during the pandemic, I mean, like in Toronto, honestly, there are so many incredible grassroots organizations that are really out there, like on the front lines of um, both fighting this thing and also like meeting people's material needs and making sure Mm -hmm. that, you know, people are taken care of. Um, And one of my friends is organizing um, a new campaign where like we want to get people to um, not only like organize to, you know, help people like with meals and with everything like that, but, um, to put pressure on politicians and like make more, more of like unified demands around like, you know, um, uh, stopping the spread of the virus now kind of thing. Um, we're going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to have them actually on to talk about that soon, but, um, I'm just bringing this up because I feel like, you know, yeah, we have four years, like let's get out there and show people that like, yeah, the left is actually like, we're the ones who actually like help people and like make material change for people yes. um, and can help address people's material needs. And the right isn't, the right's not going to do that. <laughs> you know, no, that's not going to happen. Well, and the only place they do it is in churches. Yeah, that's true. Right. Which, you know, whatever, I'm not going to get into that whole debate. But you know, that is a way that the right through, um, Mm. you know, orthodox, like, yeah, Christianity has grown their numbers. Because if you belong to a church, those people will help you. So I think Mm. it's really important for us to be able to come from like a secular viewpoint from a leftist viewpoint and say, that's just a neighbor helping a neighbor. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be part of this conservative uh, culture mm-hmm. for you to get help from your neighbor. We can do that without that that institution in between us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's something I'll always give credit to the church for is that's something it does really well. And there's certainly churches out there that don't uh, promote these harmful beliefs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think just in general, there has been, I think it's the only place that that kind of community care has consistently survived in specifically U.S. culture, because that's all I can mm-hmm. speak to. Um, and I do think that for leftists, like the more that we can get out there and just be a part of our communities and help in any way we can, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, I'm chronically ill and I don't have a lot of, uh, energy and I don't have a lot of resources right now, but I found small ways to connect with other people in my community and help people out. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible, like, what a huge difference it makes, even when you just help one other person. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, yeah, in Toronto, there's, like, some pretty, like, radical churches, too, that are, like, doing really cool mm-hmm. stuff um, and also promoting, like, leftism. So, like, that's rad. But That's awesome. But, yeah, I think you're right that, like, that is, like, conservative, like, yeah (laughs) like conservative mutual aid throughout like the south is like you know religious oriented and yeah Mm -hmm. we definitely need to be out there being like 
no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like mutual aid. And the benefit too is that a lot of those kind of, you know, communities, um, that kind of culture, there's a very strict set of rules that you have to follow in order to belong to it or Mm. else you get outcast. So if we can provide alternatives where we're like, yeah, we're not going to put up with you being like racist or whatever, but we're also not going to police like what you do with your body. Mm -hmm, And, you know, we're mm -hmm. not going to have all these strict rules to you, to you getting aid or to you being part of this community. I think that that's a really powerful alternative. Mm -hmm. And it's something, you know, I've been a longtime atheist and it's something that atheists always struggle with is like, how do we, how do we establish this level of community care this access, this regularity, you know, people mm-hmm, go to church mm-hmm. every week. And so there's, there's this regular access and mm-hmm. activities built around it. And like, how do we replicate that? But I think now we have such a huge opportunity. I mean, people really need help now more than ever. Yeah. Um, there, there's like endless possibilities for what we could do, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it can be anything small. Like I get a CSA box, which is like a box from a farm every week of, you know, stuff that was harvested that morning. And I don't eat a lot of fruit and there's a ton of fruit in the box. And so I went out to um, this Facebook group I belong to that's broken up by zip code. So everyone's like very, very local to you. And I was like, is anyone food insecure? Would you like to regularly get food like every week from me? Mm -hmm. And I found a few people who did and I helped one person out and then they ended up being food secure. So now I've passed it on to another person. And it's just a simple, just every week I split my box with this person, but Mm -hmm. it really helps her out a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think there's there's countless ways that and, you know, just me posting that other people were like, wow, that's really cool. I want to do something like that, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's there's endless ways and, you know, social media can be a double edged sword for sure. But one of the things I found that even Facebook can be really good at is connecting, forming groups around mutual aid in local communities mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then there's groups doing stuff already that you can, you know, join in with, which is also a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about some of those groups in Toronto in the next podcast. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of all I had. Did you ever, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I just had a um, sort of a, it's not a, a straight quote, it's sort of me paraphrasing something that Sean Blackman said on the uh, By Any Means Necessary episode I listened to, but I thought it was a, be a good way to close out, mm-hmm. if that's good with you. Yeah. So he was saying, you know, we all have to understand the intrin- intrinsic and essential undemocratic nature of these institutions He said, Americans should always bear in mind the concept of democracy in the U.S. has always intended to be a facade and has always been designed for the benefit of the ruling class. The 10th article of the Federalist Papers talked about establishing a government with an institution that would control domestic faction and insurrection that would derive from a rage for paper money, for an abolition of debts, and an equal distribution of property or any other improper or wicked project. During the conventional Constitu- constitutional convention, Hamilton gave a speech saying there would be a strong centralized state power that would check the imprudence of democracy. And for those who don't know what imprudence means, it means like rash, rashness, mm-hmm. like a f- foolish or rushed <laughs> decision making. So they were saying that to them, democracy was inherently 
you know, rash and when almost childlike, right? We already see the infantilizing yeah. of the citizen here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole aim and design of this capitalist system was rooted against true democracy, shaped only for the appearance of it. Ugh. So I just thought that was all really great. And I just wanted to highlight that they classified things as abol- uh, things such as an abolition of debts and an equal distribution of property as improper or wicked projects. Yeah. Even back then. This was hundreds of years ago. Yeah. So this fight is not new. No. And I just think it, to me, was an inspiring thing to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, you know, sometimes I do get beaten down by libs and I'm like, am I too extreme? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And then something like this reminds me, no, this shit literally was always set up to be this way. It's not broken. You know, it doesn't need reform. It needs to be d- abolished. Yeah. It needs to be written off the face of the planet. Burned um, down. Yeah. We need to stop glorifying, deifying the people who set this in place. They were mm-hmm. very intelligent, but they were very intelligent against our interests. Yeah. They were very intelligent in their greed and like <laughs> yeah and malice <laughs> yeah yeah well i think that's a great way to close off um so yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show nicole um this was awesome and i can't wait to just collaborate more with you in the future um Same. did you want to shout out your your spots again or uh just where people can find you i'll have this all in the in the show notes as well yeah, so again, you can just find me at uh, Pink Spots, P-Y-N-K, pretty much everywhere. And I'll be launching my first episode uh, this Sunday. I don't know when this episode is coming out, but November 15th, it'll be out. So yes, if it's after then, it's, it's already available. And uh, I'll be posting twice a month uh, to start sustainable is the word for, for the end of 2020. Yeah. Like, let me do something sustainable. That's key. Um, Yeah. And just, again, uh, following me anywhere is great. It will be posted as a podcast. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it. But if you are ever on YouTube, if you can follow me there, that would be super helpful. Yes. Follow the YouTube and donate to the Patreon. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Nicole, for coming on the show. And, yeah, I guess uh, we'll see everyone soon. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. She's cool.